Can an all-good and all-powerful God exist if there's pain and suffering in the world? Can an all-good and an all-powerful God exist if there's pain and suffering in the world? Skeptics have said, have said that, that pain and suffering is evidence that the God of the Bible can't exist. He may be, be all-powerful and, and could end suffering, but he's not all-good, so he doesn't do it. Or, the skeptic says, he's all-good, he desires to end it, but he's not all-powerful. He just doesn't have the capability. He wants to, but he can't. But either way, because there's pain and suffering in the world, the God of the Bible simply can't exist. Now, last week we, we looked at it. We said that, that people look at pain and suffering and uh, ask why. Now, there's two different camps when that happens. Some people see pain and suffering in the world like they would see the tornado happen, but they weren't a part of it. And, and they, they, they would see the, the, the nightly news come on. They would see the destruction when it hit our town. And they would say, how in the world could a good God, an all-powerful God, let that happen to a city like Joplin? But they weren't a part of it. And they would ask why. And then, and then there's some of you that are in this room that you were a part of it. You were hit. Your house was destroyed. Your life was turned upside down. And you may look at it and you say why. And while both of those questions sound the same, they're not. And so last week we looked at the first Somebody that looks, that looks on destruction, that looks on injustice, that looks on pain and suffering that goes on out there and asks why. We answered that question last week. We said from Scripture, we, we saw that God from His throne, His throne that I might add can see from eternity past to eternity into the future, may be up to something that we cannot see from our limited perspective. From our finite life. The God of the universe. Who sits on his throne. That sees from before creation ever happened. To after. This earth is gone. Maybe at work. Doing some, some things. That we simply don't see. At this point in our life. Now. If you're in the middle of pain and suffering. That's cold comfort. We said that last week. Which is why we differentiated it. That's cold comfort, but it's true. God is at work. And even in pain and suffering, which he did not cause, which was not a part of his original plan, he still can use it. He, has, he is so powerful that he can use it for his glory, working in ways that sometimes we can't see. So that's what we looked at last week. Next week and the following, we're going to look at pain and suffering from a different perspective. Next week, we're going to look at the role that we play as a church. When people inside of our, of our church go through pain and suffering, when people that we love go through pain and suffering, what role do we play? We're going to look at that next week. Then the following week, we're going to answer some of your questions. Some questions that you have about pain and suffering. Jordan's going to have more information about that at the end of the service. But I'm going to try and answer those questions. You're going to text those in if you can or if you have a questions. I'm already, I'm already going to text one in for myself. Here's what I'm going to ask. Is it really fair... For, for infinite pain and suffering to result from a finite life. All right, and I've discussed that with some, and, and I don't know that I have a good answer, but I'm going to do my best. I mean, is it really fair? I mean, the Bible says that, that hell is eternal, but and that's the result of people that are outside of Christ in a finite life. Is that really fair? 
I'm going to try and answer that question. I'm going to send that question in to be answered and uh, see if I can answer it. Some of you are like, man, let's answer that today. I'm not ready. I don't know. I don't know the answer yet. But I'm going to ask it. I'm hopefully going to answer it. So we're going to hopefully have you uh, text in some questions. We're going to answer those in two weeks uh, with regards to pain and suffering. But today, we're going to answer the question of why again. But why in the midst of suffering? Why would God allow me in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, why would God allow me to experience that, to walk through that? God, what are you up to? Why am I hurting so bad? Now, before we jump in, I, I want to remind you, I said to some people that say, well, a God like that can't exist. The God of the Bible can't exist because of pain and suffering. I would just remind you, I don't think disbelief in God helps your cause at all. I mean, after all, we all look on in, at injustice in this world. We all look at, at the strong eating the weak, and it makes us angry. We all see nations, bigger nations, gobbling up smaller nations, and it makes us weaker nations, and it makes us mad. We see, we see um, migrants that are leaving war-torn countries. Headed to another nation right now that will not let them enter. And I'm not trying to get political, but, but that's injustice. And it makes a believer, or it should make a believer, angry. We all look on injustice. And it fires us up. And the question I would ask is, why? Why? I mean, after all, if there's no God, that's just the way that it is. So if you're here this morning and you're going, yeah, that God can't exist. The God that you're talking about can't exist. I don't think disbelief helps your position at all. Because we all look on injustice. And it makes us angry. And Martin Luther King Jr. from Birmingham Jail said that's because of a greater law, a bigger law, a law from a higher power has been seared on our heart, has been given to us, and that's why we look on injustice. It makes us mad. We look at pain. We look at suffering. And it infuriates us. So why would God allow us to suffer? When I've had the privilege as a pastor to, to be a part of people's lives in the dark, their darkest hours. As a youth pastor and as a senior pastor. Even more so as a senior pastor. I've had that chance, the, the privilege really of walking with people and the greatest advice that I've been given and would probably pass on from experience is in the midst of somebody's pain and suffering is just to be present. I mean, don't, you don't offer a theological answer. You don't really offer anything unless you're asked. Otherwise, you just keep your mouth quiet and you be present. Now, that would make for a, a weird few minutes here, so I'm going to offer a little bit more than that this morning. But in a practical sense, um, that's, what, that's, that's what I would do. If, you're invi if you invite me in, to your darkest hour as you walk through difficult days as a loved one begins to pass away. I'm going to show up and I'm going to keep my mouth quiet. I'm just going to be there. That's what I would suggest as well. You don't have answers. They don't need answers at the time. They just want to know that you care. That won't work again for this morning. So I just want to offer you three things from the scriptures that I hope will be of hope to you as you walk through pain and suffering, which is inevitable. In this life. Number one is this. One of the, the big themes of Scripture that you see throughout 
is that God is close to those who suffer. In your darkest hours, in your darkest days, he is close to you in suffering. Now, this week, I was thinking about that. I was actually in my car. I was, I was headed on to 249. And I, I, I don't know why it came to my mind as I was coming across there, but I realized how true this was, or this is. And I also realized how little I have experienced it. Mainly because my pain and my suffering in this life has been very limited. I haven't, haven't had a whole lot of loss by God's grace in my life. And even more than that, I've lived in a very prosperous country. So much so that many times I think we sit in the United States of America today and go, how much better could heaven really be? I mean, i got the United States. I've got, got more, more uh, uh, resources at my disposal than ever before. But many of the world, much of the world would hear this truth and go, thank you. Even though I, I mean, I'm kind of, you know, revealing maybe too much information, but even though I would go, I don't really understand this because I haven't been there before. But some of you may have been, and I guarantee you most of the world has been. Down and out, lowly, in pain and suffering, and the theme of the scriptures is that God is close to you on those days. There's some verses in Psalms and Proverbs that reveal that. Psalms, uh, Proverbs 14.31. We have that. Proverbs 14.31, it says, Whoever oppresses a, a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Another one is in Psalms. Psalm 68.5 says, Father of the fatherless. This is talking about God. He's the father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God says, when you are, when you lose something, when you lose a, a very meaningful relationship, the Bible promises, it gives us this promise that God steps in personally and fills the gap for you, for the lowly, for the pain, or in your pain and in your suffering. Another one, Psalm 34, 18, it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. First truth this morning is that in your darkness, on your darkest days, in your pain and in your suffering, God Himself promises to be close. But He doesn't stop there. Second point is this it wasn't enough for God to be close. I mean, we live in a, in a very real world with real brokenness. And into that, God sent His only Son slipped into the sandals of humanity and experienced brokenness and pain and suffering himself. And I would argue that he experienced it far greater even than we could experience. Let me illustrate it. This past week, our dog, Raleigh, was great, great family dog, family pet for 10 years. We had to we had to put him down on Monday night. I know, it's tough, man. I, I, I'm not a dog person. This week has been tough for me. Because I really grew to love that dog a lot more than I ever thought. But we knew he was getting sick. There were some things, there were some signs that he was getting sick. And, and some things had happened. And so I said, Mary Jo, I think I need to take him to the vet. Now, I, I, I didn't think it was that far. I didn't think we were that far down the road, kind of where we were going to have to put him down. But I knew that he was sick. And I had 
an amount of money that I was willing to pay to make sure or to try and make sure that some of this sickness kind of went away. Now, it's a lot more money than I'm ever going to admit up here today, today or this morning. <laughs> and then for others of you, I would admit that amount of money, and you'd go, maybe for my stuffed animal, but I'm going a whole lot more for my real animal, my real pet. So I'm not telling you how much money it was, but I had a dollar amount that I was willing to pay so that Raleigh uh, could, could, could uh, be potentially healed, pay for medicine, uh, you know, pet care, that sort of thing, veterinary care. There was a, a certain amount of money we were willing to pay to see him healed. But if it was Molly Kate or Grayson, one of my two kids, or even Mary Jo or myself, there's no way we would head to the doctor and say, you know, as long as it's this amount of money or less, I'm willing to pay for it. Right? I mean, I'm maxing out the credit cards. We're mortgaging the house. We're mortgaging the future. My parents probably are maxing out their credit cards and they're mortgaging their house and they're dipping into their retirement if Grace and her Molly Kate's sick. I mean, there's no, there's no limit to what we would do or at least try to do to make sure that Molly Kate and Grace and her Mary Jo or myself get the care needed so that we could recover, so that we could get the medicine need, needed to get well again. The reason is because there's kind of a hierarchy of, uh, of value, right? I mean, you all get that. I mean, there's, I loved my dog. I loved him, and he not, not nearly as well as he loved me for 10 years. But there was a limit that I was willing to go. There was a limit that we were really willing to go to see him healed. There's no limit. My kids are heading to the doctor. I think the same is even true with it when it comes to God. When Jesus slipped into the sandals of humanity, the suffering and the pain, the agony, the darkness that he experienced could never really truly be on the same... We, we could never know that pain and suffering on the same level that he experienced. Not because of our, our value per se, but because... He, he had access to the Father. He had access to God that was simply different than the access that you and I had. So the pain and the suffering that he experienced was far greater. And yet he endured it. He didn't come as a, an emperor or as a, a ruler. He came as a carpenter. He came born in a manger. And he suffered and he died. In anguish, pain, suffering, and despair. You know the story, but I just want to remind you to read, read it for you in Matthew. Matthew 27, 46, it says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spit on him, took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of, uh, of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. 
They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the soul, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the night. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, leave us up with God. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's on the cross that we see the ultimate wonder. On the cross, sufferers finally see to our shock that God also knows what it is to lose a loved one. God's ultimate answer for suffering was not an explanation. It was the incarnation. He sent his only son to suffer and die. And he experienced loss that day. The 20th century Christian leader and theologian John Stott put it this way. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In a real world of pain, one could wor- or how could one worship a God who was immune to it? And he wasn't. And I think this reveals not why we go through pain and suffering. I don't know the answer to that on this side of eternity. But I do know what, 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 what the reason cannot be. The cross tells us what the reason can't be. It can't be that God doesn't love us. And it cannot be that he doesn't care. The cross reminds us and it reveals to us that even in the midst of our pain and our suffering, that God loves us and God cares. So, first truth when we're going through pain and suffering is this, that in our darkest hour, God is near. The second truth is this. It was not enough for him to be near. He actually experienced pain and suffering and lost himself. Third, and I think this may be the most hopeful, it's this. I want to make sure I get it right. In the midst of pain and suffering, we have the promise of the resurrection. God is not preparing some ethereal, you know, spiritual eternity for us. He is offering, he is promising a real resurrection. A real uh, uh, new uh, whole life that is to come. 
He is offering us completion of what is broken here. When our lives are cut short, when, when things go poorly, when, when pain and suffering gets, the, the resurrection is a reminder of the hope that is to come. 1 Corinthians 15, 12-14, it says this, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Whenever I do a funeral and I go to the graveside with a family, I'll stand there and I'll say, look, we're putting your loved one in the ground, but we're not burying anybody. If they know Christ, if they know Christ, I always say we're not burying anybody. We are planting. And the reason I say that is because there is a hope that one day he or she will rise out of the ground, if they know Christ, will rise out of, the, out of the ground with a new body on the new heaven and in the new earth. We're not planting, I mean, we're not burying anything. Because when we bury, there is no hope. But when you plant, there is the expectation, there is the hope that one day there will be something that comes out of the ground there. Every springtime, uh, 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 farmers, they take seed and they put it in the ground. And they don't do it because they think it's going to stay there. No, they do it because they have the expectation, the hope, that in a few months they're going to be able to harvest the crop that they planted. And that's exactly what we believe as, as Christians. That's exactly what the Bible teaches us. That when we are, as believers, are put into the ground, there's the hope, there's even the expectation that we will rise with a new body in the new heaven on the new earth. And it will be a body that can never, ever, ever be touched by sin, by death, by pain, and by suffering. We were buried in mortality. We will rise again in immortality. And pain and suffering, death and sin can touch us no more. In the midst of our, of our, our pain and in the midst of our suffering, in the finite uh, time that we are in pain and in suffering, this is a great hope. There is coming a day that you will face this reality no more. You will live immortal alongside ruling and reigning alongside Jesus himself. That's a great hope for us to have. I'm not a big fan of the Lord of the Rings. Jordan's going to set this up far better than I ever could here in just a minute. I'm not a big fan of the Lord of the Rings. I won't even say this guy's name right, but I came across this quote this week. I think it's awesome. Some of you are like, I'm never listening to you again. I cannot trust you if you don't like the Lord of the Rings. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I do the best I can. I came across this quote, and I thought this was awesome. Gamgee, am I right, Jordan? Gamgee. Sam Gamgee wakes up thinking that everything is lost and discovers instead that all his friends were around him. And he cries out, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And according to the Bible and the authority that it is, that's exactly right. Everything sad will one day come untrue. Let's pray. Father.
in the midst of pain and suffering, it can engulf us, overcome us to the point that it's difficult to take another step. But Father, your word reveals that you're with us, you experience suffering far greater than we ever could, and you offer a hope to come where pain and suffering is no no more. Everything sad will indeed be untrue. And that we place our trust in Jesus' name.